Well, hello, everybody. It's good to see all of you here today. My name is Matt Carlack. I'm actually the, uh, the campus pastor here uh, at Thrive Church in Terryville, and I want to welcome you here tonight. Um, and for everybody who's watching online and for you guys over in New Britain and Torrington who are going to be seeing this, I want to welcome you too, and thank you so much for coming. Um, today we're starting a new series called Wait For It. Wait for it. It's a series on patience. And the message today is going to be on patience through wandering. And patience is something that not many of us like to have. We need it, but we don't want it. We want what we want when we want it. Delayed gratification is not something that's really looked up upon in culture. Like if you go into the store and you see something you want, you know you don't have the money, you just put it on the credit card, right? Or if you want to go on vacation, that's what credit cards are for. That's what loans are for. And we're not used to, at least in our culture, putting things off and waiting for them. And in our day-to-day -day lives, it's also a difficult thing to have patience. Who wants to have patience? And there's a joke that you shouldn't pray for patience because how does God teach you patience? Well, he makes you wait. So no one wants to do that. And it's especially difficult to have patience when we're going through difficulty in our lives. When we're sick, how many of us want to wait to get better? And we know that God could heal, so why doesn't he just do it right away? He was healing people all over the place when he was here on earth. But then there's the story in the Bible about the Apostle Paul. And he got sick. He had a thorn in the flesh, yet God didn't heal him. Yet he still used him in great and mighty ways. And what about having an estranged child or an estranged spouse or relationship difficulties? Those are some of the hardest things to go through in our life. And they always take time to heal, waiting and waiting. And how could we have patience when we're waiting and we're wandering through life? The focus of our sermon today is on the Old Testament figure, Moses. He's one of the great Israelites in all of history. And he was born at a time when things were not going well uh, for Israel. They were living in the land of Egypt. They were slaves. And um, they were starting to get a little too powerful for the comfort of the Egyptians. There was many of them. And the Egyptians started to get scared. So they asked the midwives when uh, an Israelite woman was going to give birth, they were like, you got to kill these babies. And the midwives were like, no, we don't want to do that. So they didn't do that. They said, the Israelite woman, they're just too strong. They deliver the babies way too fast, and we can't even get there before they deliver the baby. So then the Egyptians, the Pharaoh said, well, now we want you to take their male babies, and we want you to throw them into the Nile River. And Moses was born around that time. But his mother, instead of throwing him into the river, like she shouldn't have, right? Instead of letting that happen, she went and she hid her baby. She took him and she put him in a, a basket made out of bulrushes. She covered it with pitch and she went and put him in the river in the reeds and hid him there. Well, what ended up happening was Moses became the adopted child of Pharaoh's daughter. She found him there, and she adopted him into her family. And he was a man that grew up in Egyptian royalty, yet he knew that he didn't belong to them. Moses knew that he was a Hebrew. And one day, when Moses was 40 years old, he witnessed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew slave. And he got mad at him, and he decided to take matters into his own hands. And he took that Egyptian, and he killed him, and he buried his body in the sand. But then, word ended up getting around, unfortunately. 
and Moses ran away to the land of the Midianites. When he was in Midian, he got married to a Midianite woman. He had children. And then one day, years later, as he was leading his sheep through the wilderness around the mountain of Horeb, he saw a bush burning, and he decided to go and investigate it. And it turns out that God was in that bush. And God began to speak to Moses and tell Moses that Moses was his chosen instrument, that he was going to use Moses to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. It was the same promise that was given to Abraham many years later, and then to Isaac, his son, and then to Jacob, and now to Moses. And things were going so bad for for Israel in there that it really was time to pull them out of there. And Moses was a reluctant leader in the beginning. He didn't want to do it. He didn't seem to be very brave. He doubted that the people would listen to him. But God gave him the ability to perform some signs. One of the signs was turning his rod into a snake. You know, he t- God told him to take his staff and to throw it down on the ground. And when he did, it turned into a snake. And Moses was like, whoa, that's a snake on the ground. And God's like, okay, pick it up by the tail. And when he did that, it turned back into his staff. And then he was able to make his hand leprous and back again. And that seems kind of like an odd sign to show people. But he was able to do that. And also... Uh, he was able to take some water out of the river Nile and pour it on the ground, and it poured out as blood. But even this didn't convince Moses that he was the one. He was like, God, I'm a man, and I stutter, and I don't want to get up there. How am I supposed to speak in front of Pharaoh, and how are these people supposed to listen to me? So God said that his brother Aaron could be his spokesperson. Though by the time that it really seemed to matter, As they were going through things, Aaron really wasn't the spokesperson anymore, and Moses was comfortable enough. So Moses was able to convince the elders of Israel, through his brother Aaron, that he was sent by God to deliver them from Egypt. However, his first try at convincing Pharaoh to let the Israelites out created some problems. Instead of Pharaoh letting them go, he decided to make life even more difficult for them. They had to go on making bricks for Pharaoh's building projects. The Israelites were the the great workers of that time in the land of Egypt. So they were brick makers, and they had to go and make these bricks. But then Pharaoh took away the straw. They had supplied it for them before, and then they decided to take it away. But he said, you have to make the same number of bricks every day. But now you have to go out and collect all the bricks in all the land. And I don't know about you guys, if any of you guys may have worked concrete, but that's like trying to make concrete without any stone. You would have your your cement, you would have your sand, but you wouldn't have any aggregate to mix into it to make it into concrete. So that's basically the same thing. So imagine being told to go to the job site and make concrete, but now you got to go gather rocks from all the land around there and bring them in there and meet your quota. you got to make the same amount of sidewalk or road or whatever you have to do, and that would be a difficult thing. So things didn't get easier when Moses came. And what was God intending to do? And why weren't things happening? Why weren't they being let go? The Israelites were already slaves. They already had a lot of problems. Their kids were being killed. Why now were they having more problems? 
and I want you to jot this in your notes, that many times when you're going through difficulty, greater difficulty will come before deliverance. After this, Moses brought his complaint back to God, but God had a plan in all of this, and he reiterated his promise to Moses. It says in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, that I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burden of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm in great acts of judgment. And I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. I want you to underline all the I wills in that small section of Scripture. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God knew what was going on. And in all this, he was setting things up so that not only could the Israelites be set free from captivity, but they would gain victory over Pharaoh and his army without even lifting a finger. Another thing to put in your notes, when you're waiting, God is working to set things up for your victory and his glory. I think most of us know the rest of the story. God brought his snake or, or Moses brought his snake eating snake staff to Pharaoh and then 10 plagues after that and each of these things was a sign um, to show the power of God over the Egyptians every single one of them the snake was to show God's power over Pharaoh and then each one of the plagues was to show God's power over one of the Egyptian gods and you could look that up if you'd like to and it culminated with the Passover and the death of all the Egyptian firstborn. And from there, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt. And it says there were 600,000 men, and that was likely 600,000 men ages 20 and older. So it very likely could have been over a million or two million people, a huge quantity of people. And the Egyptians were so afraid of the Israelites by this time and their God that they gave them whatever they asked for. They gave them silver as they went. They gave them gold, and they gave them clothing. And the night that they left was 430 years from the time Abraham received the promise. Now, there are a couple of things that could seem a little strange here. First, why would he take them into a desert wilderness? Why would God do something like that? And there are a few things to keep in mind in all of this. First, while they saw these awesome miracles and how God removed them from Egypt, they still didn't know who God was and how they should worship him. And next, there was no law given at this time. This is before the commandments. So God needed to teach the people. And what better way than to bring them to a place of nothing, far removed from all the influence of the world, a place where the Israelites could develop their own culture in their own belief system, with no influence from anyone other than God. God had to remove them from the ways of the world so that the Israelites could be made into his people. Why did God choose Moses? Well, Moses was not a rash man, at least not anymore. Forty years had passed uh, since he left Egypt, and he was about 80 years old when he returned. 
And he had learned something in this time, this last 40 years. Patience. He didn't do the things on the spur of the moment. We don't see him going around trying to take care of the Egyptians one by one, at least anymore. We see a different person. Someone who met his God and has been changed by him. He was perfectly set up by God to lead an impatient people across the desert. And his patience would be tested many, many times. So going back to the exodus from Egypt, quite a bit was going to happen and God needed to show the people who he was. To start, God was Israel's constant companion. He was there in a pillar of cloud by day, in a pillar of fire by night. He was always present to watch over them and to protect them. Next, God led them to some impossible places. He led them to an encampment right next to the Red Sea. And when they took there to this encampment, there was only one way in and one way out. On the other side was the sea, and the only path out of there was the path they came in. And then they had a problem. The Egyptian army with 300 chariots decided to come down and try to take them forcefully back to Israel. And the Israelites got mad and said, why did you bring us out here? so that we could just be killed here in the wilderness. And they accused the Moses and God of these things. So God showed his power in an absolutely impossible situation by opening up the Red Sea. And the Israelites walked across it on dry land. And then as the Egyptian army chased them, he closed the Red Sea right on top of them. And thus defeating all the Egyptian army and all the Israelites had to do was walk away. After they left from there, God made bitter water drinkable and brought food from heaven. And he even gave them instructions on how to gather the food. They were to go out every single day and gather just enough for that day. And they had all that they could eat for that one day. And then on the Sabbath, they were to take two day's worth of food. And they weren't allowed to take any more. If they tried to, it would have worms in it and it would go bad. But God made them rely on him for their food every single day. They needed to rely on God. And after they set off into the wilderness again, they were tested again as there was no water. And God showed his power to them by bringing water from a rock. But the people still had no trust in God even threatening Moses with death and saying, is the Lord among us or not? And it took 47 days to travel from the land of Goshen to the land of Mount Sinai. And it was there at Mount Sinai that God established his law with the Israelites. In this time, as they were at Mount Sinai, God gave them the law, all the instructions they needed to live life the way God wanted them to. And he presented them with a blessing for keeping it and a curse for violating it, the punishment. He taught them the fear of the God by his presence on the mountain, specifically designed to keep them from sinning against him. And let me tell you, it was a terrible and awesome sight. There was deep darkness, there was lightning and thunder and earthquakes, everything that would make you afraid. But unfortunately, we'll find out that even that wasn't enough to keep the Israelites from sinning against God. The Israelites stayed at Mount Sinai until 13 months and 20 days from the time they left Egypt. 
and began what was going to be a short journey to the promised land. When they started their trip, it took the Israelites only three days to start complaining again. Just three days. And this extreme complaining about their trip brought judgment on some of them through fire. Some of them on the outskirts of the camp ended up dying. Next, they complained about the food. Now, this food was the first true superfood. Like, I don't know, there's all these things they talk about on TV and whatnot nowadays, nowadays, like superfood, but you could actually live off this stuff. It had everything that you needed to live life every single day. But apparently, they wanted some meat, and they complained and complained about it. So God gave them meat, more meat than they could ever eat. It says that those who gathered the least gathered at least 10 homers of quail. Quail came up this high in the land. But it also says that people got a plague when they started eating it. They may have started eating it raw, we don't know, and many died as a result. And by the way, six homers of quail is about 60 gallons, just an incredible amount. There is that modern proverb that says, to be careful what you wish for, you might just get it. Well, I think that applies here. We have to ask things with the right attitude when we go and ask them. From there, Moses' sister Miriam and brother Aaron questioned Moses' authority. And when they did, God disciplined Miriam for her unbelief by giving her leprosy for a week. Now, in all of what just happened, Moses appealed on behalf of the Israelites every single time. He appealed when they complained about the food. He appealed when his sister got leprosy. He didn't give up on the people who he led. And he demonstrated great patience with them. But this would come to a head very shortly. God told Moses to have the people of Israel send one man from each tribe to spy out the promised land to spy out the land of Canaan, to see what it was like. And for 40 days, these men went throughout the land. And in Numbers chapter 13, verses 26 through 33, it says this. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw the descendants of Anak there, some big, big dudes. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take the land. For we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land that we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. Big dudes. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. After that, it says in Numbers 14 that all the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and our children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And Moses and Caleb pleaded with the people, saying in verses 7 through 9, that the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But instead of listening, they, st- they threatened to stone those two. They threatened to stone Caleb and Joshua, and that was the last straw. To summarize the rest of chapter 14, the people got what they asked for. The men who brought back the bad report died of sickness. The people were to wander the desert for 40 years, and not one of them over the age of 20 would make it to the promised land, except the two spies, Joshua and Caleb, who believed in God that he would give them the land. The people suddenly felt bad for their bad attitude after hearing this, and they decided to go to war against the people of the land. But God was not with them as they went, and they were defeated. And if you think about it, just 14 months, maybe 15 months into their journey, they could have been in the promised land. The spies spent 40 days there, and they brought back food that had not spoiled. They were so close, but unbelief and impatience kept them out of it. So I know there's a lot to learn from this time in the history of the nation of Israel. And uh, I've kind of given you a short summary of four books of the Bible here, of Exodus through Deuteronomy. And this sermon is about patience. So I hope you've had patience with me. The people of Israel, they needed to learn trust. Trust that would lead to patience in times of uncertainty. And whenever there was some difficulty, real or perceived, they would get mad at God and get mad at Moses. The Israelites were taken out of slavery, and they were shown a new way of life, different from the old way. The presence of God was with them everywhere they went, and they received a covenant with God that no one else in the world would have. Yet they were still impatient with God, and because of their distrust, they would wander and wander and wander. So many times they wanted to go back to Egypt. So many times they shook their fist at God, even though they saw his mighty works and they needed nothing. That He was there every single day with them. For the next 40 years, the people of Israel would wander. And in that time, even Moses would not be allowed to enter the promised land because in a time of frustration, when he was supposed to bring forth water from a rock, He got angry with the people, and he ended up putting himself at the same level as God. But in all this time, as they were wandering, God cared for the people. The Bible says that God forgave them 
but he wouldn't let them enter the promised land. Their clothes and their shoes never wore out. They never even had to worry about food. And think about that. They were in a desert, and they didn't have to worry about food or water for 40 years, and they didn't go around growing gardens and hunting. God gave them their food every single day for 40 years. And he continued to teach them, and he even gave them the law again so that all the people of Israel could learn. And those who messed up were able to teach the next generation, the people who would inherit the land. Now Moses was a man with a lot of patience. He was patient to continue with the people. He had patience to continue when they were being unreasonable. He had patience to reteach the next generation so they would be ready to inherit the land. So how does all of this apply to us? Well, what are you going through in your life? When you're waiting on answers to life's great questions, what do you do? What are we supposed to learn while we wait for God to act? What is God trying to teach us when we're wandering and need some direction? And what are some of the positive qualities of Moses that we could look up to? He led his people by example, so let's see what we can learn. Number one, this is in your notes, Moses feared God. Moses knew that God was one to be feared above everything that was scary in the world, above all the people of Israel who hated him at times, above Pharaoh, above Pharaoh's army, above the wilderness, and he let that godly fear drive his life. He was a man who wanted to do the right thing and was concerned only with trusting and obeying God. If God gave a promise, God intended to keep that promise. And in all of this, the might and the strength of men and his armies were not something to fear. Only disobedience to God was. And this is something that we need in our lives. Are we living a life of repentance? God may be leading us in what seems like a desert to free us from some sin in our life. God mentioned through Moses that the fear of God was intended to keep the people from sinning. So let's start there. Yes, Jesus came to save us from our sins, but you could only be saved from what you turn away from. And this is something that the Israelites had a hard time doing. They wanted not only to go back to captivity so many times, but also to the pagan ways of Egypt. When they were supposed to be waiting for God at the foot of the mountain, they went and they worshipped a golden calf instead. Number two, and this is in your notes, Moses was humble. The Bible says that Moses was the humblest of all men, which seems kind of funny because Moses wrote that portion of Scripture. But it does seem true. There are only two recorded times that Moses seemed to try to fix things. The first was the time he killed the Egyptian. And the second was in Numbers chapter 20, a time when he elevated himself to the level of God in the moment of frustration that I mentioned before. And he said, must we bring you water like he did anything about it except touching the rock. For the most part, Moses went to God in humility and he pleaded on behalf of the people. 
He didn't put himself on a pedestal. He didn't say that he was great. He didn't set up any monuments to himself, but he just repeated what God told him to do. And this is something that's very difficult to keep humble about. He was the only person in the Old Testament to speak with God face to face, yet he did not let that get into his head. He didn't set up any monuments. And you could see even today, like so many preachers that are so gifted and give the word to God to so many people, end up falling because they let that get to their heads. Moses didn't. Our New Testament example of this is Jesus Christ. He was God in the flesh. Yet while he was here on earth, there was nobody kissing Jesus' feet. Jesus was washing their feet. Jesus was a perfectly humble man. And we have that example. He gave himself so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Number three, Moses trusted God. And this is the way he lived his life in all circumstances. Unlike the people of Israel, Moses trusted God not to strike him down when he went to the mountain. Moses trusted that the people of Israel would make it into the land of Canaan. When God said that he would give people victory over their enemies, Moses trusted him. He believed him. He trusted that God would hear his prayers and to act on them. And so many times he interceded for Israel in this way. And God withheld his hand because of him. To follow God and believe in his goodness, no matter what you are going through, is something that's very precious in God's sight. Are people always healed? Are relationships always fixed? Do we go through life without struggling? No. We're not promised that until we leave this earth. But we need to hold on to his promises and trust him amid difficulty that God will work for our good and for his glory. And number four, Moses had patience in God. He was a man of patience. And patience reveals how much you trust God. He knew God was faithful to his word and would raise people up to be his own possession. He believed what God said in Exodus 19. It says that Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain. This is what you are to tell the house of Jacob and explain to the sons of Israel. You have seen for yourselves with your own eyes what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be my treasured possession out of all the nations. For the whole earth is mine, and unto me you shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the Israelites. It's not easy to be patient with God and see how things will turn out, but never stop trusting him. To those who you care for who are going through difficulty, never stop praying because you're praying to God Almighty and He sees you and He hears you. And if you're going through difficult, be patient. God cares for you. Let Him teach you. This is the last thing in your notes. And this is a run-on sentence, I think. I'm sorry, English teachers. 
but I like the way it sounded. So patience is trusting that God will work while he makes you trust him more, while he works on you, while you wait for him to work. In other words, in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. When your faith is tested, and you have patience in God through the testing, God will work it all out. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord. You are God Almighty. You showed your mighty works back in the Old Testament to these Israelites. You show your mighty works to us. You have given your Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die a sinner's death on the cross for our sins because you love us. And Lord, we give you thanks for this. And I pray, Lord, for everyone listening today, God, when things are really hard, when it's hard to wait, when we want to fix things our own way, Lord God, I pray that we would just seek after you and trust in you and wait on you and change our lives and follow you in everything, Lord, that we could do to serve you. And I pray, God, for those who are listening today that may not have given their lives to you. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So won't you do that today? Won't you say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And God, I thank you for everything. We thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.